Welcome to My Favorite Theorem, a podcast about theorems and math and all kinds of things. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. Here is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City. How are you today? I have a sunburn. <laughs> yeah, can't, can't sympathize. No, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, Ellen and I went out bird watching on Saturday and it didn't seem like it was sunny at all. And I didn't wear, I didn't wear a hat. So I got my, my head got a little sunburned. And then yesterday she was doing a print festival uh, down in St. Pete. And even though I thought we were in the shade, my, I mean, look, my arms, they're like totally red. <laughs> I don't know. This is yeah, what March in Florida. March you, in Florida. You really yeah. can't get away without SPF. No, you really can't. I know. <laughs> I, you would think I would have learned this lesson after ten years of living here, but it just doesn't work. So anyway, yeah. yeah how are you? Oh, I'm all right. Yeah, um, not sunburned. Okay, good for you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm on spring break, so um, you know, I'm 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 feeling pretty good. I got some time to breathe at least. So anyway, enough yeah. about us. Uh, this is actually a podcast where we invite guests on instead of boring the world with our chit-chat. Today we're pleased to welcome uh, Matilda Laline. You want to uh, introduce yourself? Hi, okay, thank you for having me here. So I'm originally from Argentina. I grew up in Buenos Aires and uh, I did my undergraduate there. And then I moved to the US to do my PhD, uh, mostly at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, And then I moved to Canada for postdocs and I stay in Canada. Uh, So right now I'm a professor at the University of Montreal and uh, I work in number theory. And I'm guessing you do not have a sunburn uh, (laughs) being in Montreal (laughs) in March. (laughs) So maybe I should say we are celebrating that we are very close to zero Celsius. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, exciting times. <laughs> yes, yeah, so some of the snow actually is melting. <laughs> oh, okay. I haven't yeah. seen snow in quite a while. I, I kind of miss it sometimes, but oh well. So anyway. Oh, it is very pretty. Yeah, it is. It's lovely, yeah. Until you have to shovel it every week for six months, but yeah. So, uh, Matilda, uh, what is your favorite theorem? Okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, a problem more than a theorem. Well, it will lead to some theorems eventually uh, and a conjecture. Uh, so... My favorite problem, let's say, is a congruent number problem. Okay. Um, so, okay. So basically, a positive integer number is is called congruent if it is the area of a right triangle with um, rational size. So you okay. need all three sides. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so this, the the question would be, you know, how can you tell? that a particular number is congruent, but more generally, like how can you give a list of all congruent numbers? Um, So for example, six is congruent because it's the area of the right triangle with sides uh, three, four, and five. So that's uh, that's easy. But then uh, seven is congruent because it's the area of the triangle with size 24, fifth, 35, 12, and three, 337.60s. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> so yeah, that's so uh, <laughs> not quite as obvious. <laughs> not quite as obvious, exactly. And, and in fact, there is an example uh, due to Sagier with uh, 157 is congruent. And um, so the size of the triangle, uh, they are fractions that have, okay, so the hypotenuse has 47 
46 and 47 dishes, the numerator and denominator. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so it can be very big. And this is, okay, let me clarify. For a congruent number, there are actually infinitely many triangles that satisfy this. But uh, the example I'm giving you is uh, like the smallest, in a sense. Okay. So, okay. so actually, it can be very complicated to, uh, a priori, to decide whether a number is congruent or not. Sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this problem appeared uh, for the first time in an Arab manuscript in the uh, 10th century. And then it was... Oh, wow. That's, that's shocking. <laughs> yes. Well, because, I mean, triangles, I mean, it's a, very, it's a natural question. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, uh, then it was picked up by uh, Fibonacci, who was actually... So he was looking at this problem in a different point of view. So um, he um, was studying um, arithmetic sequences. Uh, was interested. So he posed the question whether uh, you can have a three-term arithmetic sequence whose terms are all square. So basically, let me give you an example. So 1, 25, and 49, okay? So those are three squares, and the 25 minus 1 is 24, and 49 minus 25 is 24. So that makes it an arithmetic sequence, and each of the three uh, members are squares. Yeah. And actually, so this he called, he said that um, the difference, so in this case, will be 24, okay? 25 minus 1 is 24, 49 minus 25 is 24. So the difference is called a congruent, if you know if you can build a sequence with this difference basically and um so it turns out that this this problem is essentially equivalent to the congruent number uh problem so that's where the name the word congruent comes from um fibonacci was calling this a congruent so congruent has to do with things that sort of congregate and so it's kind of oh, this okay. difference of the arithmetic sequence and you can prove that from such a sequence you can build your triangle. Uh, so in the the example I gave you, this is a sequence that shows that um, six is congruent. Uh, okay. Well, technically it shows that twenty four is congruent, but um, twenty four is a square times six. And so if you have a triangle, you can always uh, multiply the size by the constant, and mm -hmm. that will be equivalent to multiplying the, the area by some square, so. Sure, yeah. Right, right, and so if, the, if it has a square in it, then there's a rational relationship that will still be preserved. Exactly. Um, so Fibonacci actually managed to prove um, that uh, seven is congruent, and then he uh, pose as a question, as a conjecture, that one wasn't congruent. So okay. when you say that one is not congruent, you are also saying that the squares are not congruent. The square of any rational oh. number. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's actually kind of a very a nicer, nicer statement in a sense. Um, it's like a, a spe very special case. Uh, and then, like four hundred years after. Fermat came and uh, and so he actually managed to solve uh, Fibonacci's question. So he actually proved using uh, his famous descent, he proved that uh, one 
is not congruent and also that two and three are not congruent so okay. so basically he settled the question for those and uh five is known to be congruent also and six and seven so well okay. that takes care of the fair few numbers <laughs> because four is one in this case <laughs> four is one that's right yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and um and well one thing that happens with this uh with this problem is that Actually, if you go in the direction that uh, Fibonacci was looking at too, okay, so this sequence of three squares, um, actually, if you can think of them as, say, you call the middle square x, and then one is x minus n, the other is x plus n. So when you multiply these three together, it gives you a square. And what this is telling you is that actually giving you a solution to an equation that you could write as, say, y squared equals x times x minus n times x plus n. Okay. And that's, uh, that's what is called an elliptic curve. And, um, okay. Yes. Yeah. So basically an elliptic curve in this context is more general. You could think of it as y squared equal and cubic polynomial in x. And mm -hmm. um, and so basically the congruent numbers uh, problem is asking whether uh, for such an equation you have a solution that uh, such that the y is different from zero. And um, so so then you can study the problem from that point of view. And, uh, and there's a lot, there's a big theory about elliptic curves. Right. And so did, I've been wondering, like, is this where people got the idea to bring elliptic curves into number theory? That's always seemed mysterious to me. This, like, when you first learn about Fermat's last theorem and you learn uh, there's all this elliptic curve stuff involved in proving that, like, how do people think to bring elliptic curves in this way? Um, as a matter of fact, Okay, so elliptic curves in general, people, uh, it's, it's actually a very natural object to study. Uh, okay. So I don't know if it came exactly via the congruent number problem because um, essentially, okay, so essentially a natural problem more general is that you find an equation. So basically I give you a polynomial with integer coefficients and I'm asking you about solutions that are either integer or rational. Mm -hmm. And... We understand very well what happens when the degree is 1, say an equation of the form ax plus by equals c, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So those we understand completely. Um, we actually understand very well what happens when the degree is 2. And actually, degree 3 is elliptic curves. So it's a very natural progression. Um, okay. So it doesn't necessarily have to come with congruent numbers. Uh, however, it's true that many people chose uh, choose to introduce elliptic curves via congruent numbers because it's such a natural uh, question and such a natural problem. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, it, it leads you to a very specific family of elliptic curves. I mean, not just the whole story. Um, so what is known about elliptic curves that can help understanding uh, the, this question of the congruent number problem um, 
so in 1922, Mordell actually proved that um, the solutions of an elliptic curve, um, actually, I should have said this before. So uh, the solutions of an elliptic curve save over the rational. So if you look at all the rational numbers that are solutions to an equation like that, y squared equals some cubic polynomial in x, uh, they form a group, mm -hmm. and uh, actually an abelian group. And as I was saying, Mordell proved that this group actually is finitely generated. So you could actually give a finite list of elements in the group, and then every element in the group is a combination of those. Okay, so, so basically it's very tempting to say, well, I mean, if you give me an elliptic curve, I want to find what the group is. So I just give the generator. So this should be very easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but actually, it's not easy. Okay. So, so the, the, there's no way to, you know, systematic way to find um, all, the, all the generators to determine what the group is. And even, okay, so you will always have. You may, you may have points of finite order. Uh, so elements that if you, if you take some multiple, you get back to zero. So those, uh, those are easy to, to find. Okay. But the question of whether they are elements of infinite order, and if they are, how many they are, or how many generators you need. I mean, all these questions are difficult in general for an elliptic curve. And uh, so my favorite theorem actually, so the way I ended up coming with the idea of talking about the congruent number problem is actually Mordell's theorem. So I really like Mordell's theorem. Uh, and that theorem's not at all obvious. I mean, so you sort of, I'm, I'm not sure I've ever even seen a proof. I mean, I remember, well, this is one of the first things I learned in algebraic geometry. You draw the picture, you know, of the elliptic curve and, and the group law of course is given by take two points, draw the line, and where it intersects the, the curve and the third point is the sum of those things, right? No, actually, then you reflect. It's minus that, right, yeah. Those three points add to zero, that's right, yeah. We'll put a picture of this up also, yeah. because Kevin's helpful um, that, that's right. air My, drawing is yeah. not <laughs> obvious to our listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and from that, somehow, the, the idea that this is a finitely generated group is really pretty remarkable, but but for the picture gives you no clue of where the, where to find these generators, right? I mean, well, the first issue actually is to prove that this is an associative law. So mm -hmm. that statement is annoyingly complicated to prove <laughs> in elementary ways. Um, yeah, commutativity is kind of obvious, right? But uh, yeah, so already to prove that it's a group in the sense that associativity, yeah. Um, and then Mordell's theorem actually it follows um, also it does some descent, <laughs> mm -hmm. so it follows on the spirit of Fermat descent actually. Um, but I mean in a more complicated context. But sure. uh, it's very beautiful, yeah. And um, and then okay, so once okay, so as I was saying, okay, so the number of generators that have infinite order that's called the rank. And uh, already knowing whether the rank is zero or what the value is, okay, already that's a very difficult question. 
And so in 1965, Birch and Sinerton Dyer came up with a conjecture that um, relates the rank to the order of vanishing of um, certain function that you build up to uh, from the elliptic curve. It's called the L function. And, uh, and so in principle, with this conjecture, one can predict the value of the rank. Okay, That doesn't mean that uh, we can find easily the generators, but at least we can answer, for example, whether there are infinitely many solutions or not, uh, yeah. things like that. So basically that's uh, kind of um, the, the most exciting uh, conjecture associated to, to this question. Um, and I mean, it's, it goes well beyond this question and it's uh, one of the million problems from the clay. Right, yeah. So. It is a high dollar value question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's interesting because for the, this question, um, it's known that, um, so if the rank is, so if the elliptic curve, uh, sorry, if the L function doesn't vanish, then uh, the rank is zero. So it's now for R zero uh, in one direction and the same for R one, uh, but not, much more is known. It's known on average. So this is a uh, very recent result, uh, relatively recent result by Bhargava and Shankar, uh, where they proved that uh, the rank uh, for, if you take all the elliptic curves and, and you order in certain way, the rank on average is bounded by seven, six. And so that means that there are, there is a positive proportion of elliptic curves that actually uh, satisfy BSD. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I mean, the question will be what BSD tells us about the original question that I posed. Right, yeah. You, so when we were chatting earlier, you said that a lot of questions or, or theorems about congruent numbers were, were basically, uh, the theorems were proved as partial solutions to BSD. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what the some progress that is being done nowadays had to do with proving uh, BSD for some particular families. I mean, for these elliptic curves that are attached to congruent numbers. Uh, but <clears throat> if I go back to the first connection, so there is uh, this uh, famous theorem by Tunnel uh, in, that was published in 1983. Okay where he basically ties the property of being a congruent number um, to two quadratic equations. So two quadratic equations in three variables having uh, one having the double of solutions as the other somehow. And, uh, and so Tony's result came obviously, so in 83, so much earlier than um, most advances in BSD, okay? Okay. And basically what Tunnels gives is a, is like an algorithm to decide whether a congruent, whether a number is congruent or not, okay? And for the case where it's non-congruent, it's actually is, is conclusive because this is the case. Okay. Um, so it depends on BSD. But this is a case where we know. And then the problem is the case where it will tell you that the number is congruent. So that is assuming BSD. So okay. um, 
Yes. Yeah, so for now, like I said, many cases will just be the cases that, for example, there are some very recent results by uh, Tian, where basically he proves that BSD applies to certain curves. And uh, so, for example, it is known that uh, for primes, um, so primes congruent to five, six, or seven modulo eight, uh, they they are congruent. Okay, so this is a result that goes back to Heckner and Monsky. So in '52, uh, Heckner. Uh, but so that's for primes. So that's an infinite family of numbers that satisfy that they are congruent. Uh, but every question. Uh, attached to this problem has to do with, okay, can you generalize this for all uh, just natural numbers that are congruent to six, seven, or seven, uh, six, five, or seven modulo eight. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay, so that's, for example, that's some uh, direction of research that's going on now. So you could disprove the BSD conjecture if you could find some number that that Turner's theorem said was congruent, but was actually not congruent? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you could disprove, uh, say you find a number that is congruent to uh, six mod A that is not a congruent number, and you disprove okay. BSD, yes. All right, yeah, so our listeners, I'm sure they'll go. I I'm sure no one has ever uh, searched a lot of numbers <laughs> to just check on this. So yeah, that's our assignment for you. So something we like to do on this show then is to ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So what do you think enhances enjoyment of uh, congruent numbers, the congruent number problem, uh, Birch and Swinnerton Dyer conjecture, all of these things? Well, for me, it's really how I pair my mathematics with things, right? And so I would pair it with chocolate because I'm a machine of transforming chocolates in theorems or instead <laughs> <laughs> of coffee. <laughs> uh, I, I will also pair it with uh, mate, which is an infusion from South America. Uh, that uh, is actually, that's my source of uh, caffeine instead of coffee, actually. Okay. And, um, so it's a very interesting drink that uh, we drink a lot in Argentina, but especially in Uruguay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do, do, you, do you have the special straw with the filter and everything? Yeah, yeah, I have the metal straw. Mm -hmm, yeah. And uh, yeah, so you, you put the metal straw and then you put the, yeah, just the leaves in, in your special cup and you drink from the straw that filters the leaves, so yeah. That's right. And you share it with, uh, with friends. And so it's a very collaborative scene, like mathematics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so I've never tried this. Does this, what does it taste like? I mean, I know it's hard to describe tastes that you've never actually tasted before, but like, it, does it taste kind of like tea, kind of like coffee, kind of like something else entirely? Um, I would say it tastes like tea. Okay. You could think it's a specialty. Yes. Okay. There's a, a coffee shop near us that has that, but I, I haven't tried it yet. Oh, um, come on. So give it a shot, Evelyn. You, I so will. You, yeah, yeah. You have to I report to. back uh, in, <laughs> in a future episode if you yes. actually... Actually, I'm going to hold you to it the next time we, we, we meet. You, you, before then, choose okay. have some mate. Do you have a chocolate preference? Are you a dark chocolate, milk chocolate? Um, milk chocolate, I would say. Okay. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not super gourmet with chocolate. <laughs> but I do have my favorite place in Montreal to go drink a good 
cup of hot chocolate. So. <laughs> All right, I've learned a lot. Um, yeah. This, this is very informative. You know, in fact, so while you were describing the congruent number problem, I was sort of sitting here sketching out equations that I might try to actually solve. And of course, it wasn't an elliptic curve, sort of the naive things that you might try. But um, th this is a fascinating problem. And I, I can see how you could get hooked. Yeah. Well, it does seem like it just has all these different branches um, and, and all these weird dependencies where you can <laughs> follow follow these lines around. Right. I mean, the best mathematics is like that, right? I mean, it's sort of kind of simple. To, I mean, this is a simple question to ask. You could explain this to a, to a kid. And then the, the, the mathematics is so deep and goes in so many directions. That, yeah, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, are there any places people can find you online, um, your website, other other things you'd like to share? Well, yeah, my website, um, shall I say the address? Uh, I, we can just put a link to that. Yeah, people can. Yeah, definitely my website. So I actually will be giving a talk in the math club on the uh, math club at the, my university on the congruent number um, in a couple of weeks. Um, so I, I'm going to try to post the slides online, but they are going to be in French. <laughs> okay, well, that'll be good. Our Francophone listeners can uh, <laughs> can check that out. I actually, so I really like some notes that uh, Kate Conrad wrote. Okay. Um, so I, and actually I had to say, he has a bunch of expository papers in, in different areas that I always find super useful for, um, you know, going a little bit beyond my classes. And uh, so I, 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 in general, I recommend that his website for that. And, uh, and in particular, the notes on the congruent number uh, problem, if you're more interested. And then, of course, there are some uh, some books um, that um, talk discuss um, congruent number and the and elliptic curves. Uh, so, for example, um, a classic reference is uh, Koblitz's book um, on um, yeah, I guess it's called elliptic curves and modular form. Oh yeah, I actually have that book because as a grad student, I my second or third year. I, for some reason, I was not interested in number theory at all, but I, I think I liked this professor. Um, so I took this class and I, so I have this book and I remember, I, I just felt like I was swimming in that class. I have this book too. It's sitting on my shelf. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. The one number theory book two topologists <laughs> have. So for me, I, I got this book before knowing I was going to be in number theories. Yeah. No, but it, but it is a nice book. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we'll we'll link to those. Uh, we'll have um, make sure to get those all in the show notes so people can find those easily. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. Take care. Us. <laughs> thank Sorry, you Kevin. for having <laughs> us. For having me. Oh, now <laughs> confusing. Okay. Yeah. No, thanks a lot. It's such a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my favorite theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lam. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Baochan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. 
The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. Thank you.